What is it that you think of when you think of joy? When you think of joy, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Christmas? Thanksgiving? Fall colors? There are all sorts of different things that bring us joy. We are beginning a series today called The Thanksgiving Tree, and the first one in the series is God Gives Joy. One of the things that brings a lot of joy in our home, uh, we love children's books. There's something about the simplicity and the joy found in a children's book that, that just fills your life with happiness. So today, for adult Sabbath school, we're going to read a children's story. Is that all right? Adult worship. <laughs> we're out of Sabbath school now. Adult worship. We're going to read, read a children's story, a story called The Giving Tree. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to take it piece by piece over the next four or five weeks, and we're going to, we're going to unpack what this story can tell us about our God. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy, and every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples, and they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade, and the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was very, or and the tree was happy. Story's great this week. You may not want to come back for the last one, unless you like crying, because the story ends a little differently. The tree was very happy. The boy was happy. I believe this, this story is best understood. I don't know what Shel Silverstein meant or had in mind when he wrote the story, but, but for me, it is, it is best used as a picture or a portrait of what God is to each one of us. God wants to invest in our lives. He wants to bring happiness and joy. He wants us to play in his branches and eat the, the wonderful fruit he provides. He, he wants to pour out blessings so that we will come and sit and rest in his shade. God wants to bring each one of us joy. When you think about joy, what is joy? Is it happiness? Is joy an emotion? Is joy a feeling? Is joy a decision? Is joy an action? Well, joy is sort of all of those things mixed up into one thing. <laughs> but we're going to go on a journey today and discover from several different Bible verses what joy is. Now, if you were to go, and I tried this, I, I was like, okay, what does the Bible have to say about joy? And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and more verses that speak on joy in the Bible. And there's not just one or two words. There's not a single Hebrew word and a single Greek word for the word joy that you can go and you can unlock the meaning of joy by studying those one or two words. There are many, many, many words for joy throughout the Scripture. So today we're going to try to boil it all down. 
I hope that we'll do it in somewhat of a logical way so you can follow step by step where we're going. Uh, because there are so many different ways you could go with this. There's so much to this topic of joy in the Bible. First of all, even if you can't explain it, how many of you like being joyful? <laughs> Anybody not like being joyful? <laughs> okay, we got one. <laughs> we got one that doesn't like joy. All right. When you think of joy, again, the, the different things that come to mind for me, I love this time of year, the beautiful fall pictures. I mean, we could just spend the whole sermon clicking through pictures of fall colors from around the nation. And by the time we were done, well, you may be extremely frustrated with me, but I'd be filled with joy. <laughs> James 1 verses 2 and 3 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're going to come back to that question. How many of you like joy? <laughs> Raise your hands now. You can't change your vote. <laughs> and where was the one honest person who said they didn't? <laughs> all right, we got it over here. Is this the kind of joy you were thinking of when you raised your hands? I don't think probably most of us went right here. No, we, when we think of joy, we think of, of smiles and happiness and right that, that feeling of well-being that just wells up in and, and flows over. Maybe laughter, right? And, and music and, and great food and fellowship and family and, and all of those things that, that we associate with joy. And yet the apostle says here, count it all joy when you meet what? <laughs> Trials. Now, this verse is often used to tell us that joy is not a feeling. Now, the word joy in the scriptures most often is associated with feelings. So joy is a feeling, all right? I want you to notice something carefully here. What, what people miss when they say joy is not a feeling, joy is not an emotion, they miss the first word in this passage. What does it say there? Count. Count or reason. When you see a picture of an adorable animal, do you have to think or reason before you feel joy? When you see a beautiful landscape, you know, a snow-capped peak, and you're standing there and you're looking out over an amazing view, do you have to stop and reason and think before you feel joy? It is a natural response that comes out of you, right? When you see loved ones and family after being separated, it's a natural response. It just, it just wells up within you to experience joy, right? It, it, just, it just happens. <laughs> when you face trials, it is not a natural response to have joy come welling up out of you. Therefore, the apostle says you must do what?
I mean, last night. So you're, you imagine yourself, you're out there in a tent. You step out of the tent in the middle of the night, and you're looking up at the amazing stars, and all of a sudden you look over there, and in the shadows of your campground looks like a, a giant shadow of a grizzly bear. Right? What is the immediate feeling you are feeling inside? Fear? Now let's change the setting, because I didn't give you the whole picture. <laughs> that grizzly is one you've raised from a cub. And it is your best friend. It has never had a mean bone in its body, never done anything to you. And all it likes to do is just hang out near you. And you come out and you see that shadow over there. And, and it just wants to walk over and be close to you and make you warm in the middle of the cold night. How are you feeling now? Changes the picture, doesn't it? It, it changes the scenario based on the circumstance. You see, our mind interprets things the, the circumstances around us doesn't automatically produce the feeling of joy or sorrow or fear within us. Feelings are a, a, something our mind creates when it interprets what's going on out there and then sends a, a message, here's how you fe should feel in response to that. You should feel joy and excitement because well, you just got the most awesome pet ever, right? A giant grizzly bear. Or you should be, feel fear because you're about to be that bear's dinner. Your mind has to to associate the circumstances around you, and then it tells you how to feel about whatever that association produces within you. And then the response comes. So joy is actually kind of multifaceted. You have a set of circumstances, you have how your mind interprets those circumstances, and then you have the emotional reaction, and then you have the physical response to that emotional reaction. Most often we, when we think of joy, we think of a smile, right? Or laughter. We, we think of the physical response to the emotion or the feeling of joy. There's a few other verses. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, can, can you make yourself feel a certain way? I see yeses and I see noes. <laughs> Let's say you know that grizzly bear is an enemy. <laughs> it's snarling, it's ready to come, and it's going to eat you. <laughs> Can you force yourself to feel happy about this situation? <laughs> Can you change your emotional <laughs> response when you, your circumstances and your mind link up to accurately portray that you are about to become dinner in an excruciatingly painful way for that grizzly bear, right? Your, your response immediately follows accurately. However, there is something in there that can change your response, and that is the way your mind interprets the circumstances around you, right? Whether the grizzly bear wants to eat you or not, your mind can play tricks on you. Now, it can be incredibly dangerous, right? You, you, can, you can say, well, I want to be happy, I want to be joyful, so I am going to interpret that grizzly bear as a friend, <laughs> nine times out of ten, probably 99,000 times out of, you know, 100,000, you're going to be wrong and you're going to be dinner. Your mind needs to interpret that as danger. You need to be afraid and you need to find a way of escape. So our, our minds can twist things and change things a little bit, but, but normally emotions are a response that comes in, in response to the interpretation your mind puts on a given situation. And hopefully your mind is interpreting that situation correctly. 
if your mind is interpreting, interpreting the, the situation correctly, if you have the right connection, you understand what's going on correctly, then the feeling that is produced will come on its own. It will come naturally, right? So you can change your perception of event, but the feelings then that come after that are, are corresponding to whatever your mind is, is telling you that that situation is giving you. Now, the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. <laughs> This gets challenging. This gets challenging, but it has to be put together with the verse we just looked at. See, we don't rejoice in bad things happen, when, when bad things happen, right? When something bad happens to someone we love, we don't rejoice about that. And yet the apostle tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. So you got to take those couple extra steps. Something bad happens. We rejoice not in the bad that happens, but we rejoice in that God is going to use this. God is going to find some way to bring good out of the bad. And so we rejoice in those further steps down the road that we know God is going to step in and intervene. You see this all the time in, in ancient Israel, right? The, the Israelites, they go out to war and God says, here's what I want you to do in this particular battle. I want you to put the singers out in the front and I want you to sing songs of praise as you're going to war against this army that way outnumbers you and should destroy you, right? Not a logical conclusion, not a logical sequence of events to get yourself from point A to point B. But, but if you look down the road and, and you understand that God is going to bring victory out of this situation, even though it looks impossible, you can rejoice not in the difficulty itself, not in the fact that there's an army that's overwhelming that's going to destroy you, but in the fact that there is a God that's bigger than the army that is going to bring victory and deliverance. One of the, the key facets throughout Scripture of, of rejoicing, of joy, it is tied to victory over enemies. Victory over enemies. Now, in, in our sense, anybody here want to rejoice in victory over the ultimate enemy? <laughs> right? If we look to the future, when God will set us free from sin and suffering and pain and death, we can rejoice in the now, in the moment of trial and trouble, because we know that, that the future is coming when those trials and troubles, when those moments of suffering and separation and loss are gone forever. And that's how the apostle tells us we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this, this gets interesting. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of what? fullness of joy. At your right hand are, what's the word there? Pleasures evermore. When we think of God, is the first thing we think of pleasure and joy. When we think about coming into his presence, what's the first thing we think about? Is it joy? Is it praise and thanksgiving? Is it happiness and pleasure? Or is it this is God, maybe we should be a little afraid. <laughs> maybe we should be a little somber. We're going to come back to that. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that a, a little later. Your view of God, your picture of God is important. Here the psalmist says, in the presence of God is what of joy? The fullness of joy. In the presence of God is the place you find the fullness of joy. That feeling you thought of earlier when you pictured the beautiful fall colors or the amazing meal or getting together with friends and family, that, joy, that joyous response where most of your face is lit up with a smile. God says the fullness of that feeling, the fullest of that emotion, that experience is found in my presence. 
in my presence. Church should be a place of joy. Now, I used a word there, and it's a, it's a word that, that I don't normally use. I, I use the word should, right? <laughs> should is, is kind of a negative word. It means there's something we are supposed to be doing that we're not, or there's an experience we're supposed to be experiencing that we're not. And so I try to avoid that word most times, because most of the time it produces within us a response of, I'm falling short, and I'm going to feel bad, and there's something wrong with me. <laughs> In this case, I think it's important to understand if we're coming to God's presence with with a view of anything short of fullness of joy, of pleasure and happiness, there is something that's falling short. There is a lack in our our understanding of who God is and, and the experience He wants us to have with Him. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. The path of life according to God, is found in his presence where there is what? Fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. When you think of the Christian life and the Christian experience, if I say you need to go out and live a Christian life, is the first thing you think of joy and pleasure? How many? All right, we got, we got one. When, when, when someone says you should go out and live the Christian life, Normally, we don't think of joy and pleasure and happiness, right? And yet, this this gets even better as as we build on this. Nehemiah 8.10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Okay, so he's saying, get ready to come. We're going to come for a holy convocation. This day is holy to God. Here's how I want you to respond, all right? The first thing he told us to do is do what? Eat and drink, right? Eat and drink. Then he goes on and he says, for this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be what? Grieved. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think the reason so much of the time we we wrestle with weakness in our Christian experience is is we are not looking at it through the, the prism or through the lens of who God really is. In God's presence is fullness of joy. That tells us something about the character of God. That tells us something about who God is. Tells us something about our relationship relationship with Him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The strength of the Christian experience is found in the joy that comes in being connected with God Almighty. Here's another one, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is righteousness. That's, we, we would normally jump there, right? That, we've got that one down. Righteousness, you better behave. <laughs> the kingdom of God is, is righteousness and peace. We normally don't think of righteousness and peace together, if we're honest about it, right? If, if we tell someone they need to be more holy, they need to be more righteous, Generally, that's not a peaceful feeling that it creates. Are you with me? It's, it's a sense of angst. It's right here in the pit of your stomach. It means I'm not measuring up. I'm not good enough. It doesn't produce peace. <laughs> and it definitely doesn't produce the next one, joy in the Holy Spirit. There's something that we've got mixed up in our minds when it comes to righteousness because it seems diametrically opposed to peace and to joy. We'll get there. We'll get there. Hang with me. 
Joy stealers. What are joy stealers in our lives? There are many. The first one that, that comes along is fear. Fear has a couple cousins called worry and anxiety that come along with them, right? Fear is one of the number one joy stealers. If the kingdom of God is all about joy, if being in God's presence is about joy and pleasure, and the devil wants to twist your mind about God, what does he want to convince you? What does he want to steal from you? He wants to convince you that God is not a God of joy and a pleasure, that God is a God to be feared, to be scared of, that in God's presence is some place that you maybe shouldn't be that joyful and happy. He wants to steal your joy away from you. He wants to steal the joy of the Christian experience away from you. And so he brings fear. And there's a host of things that come along with fear, right? Worry, anxiety. When we start, stop and think about worries of this life, right? There's a million things you can worry about. Devil's like, yeah, you know, God wants you to live filled with joy. He wants your life, be, life to be centered in joy so that even when bad things happen, you're looking beyond the bad things to the good that God will end up bringing out of it. So the devil says, you know what? I've got to do everything. If I want to twist your mind as to who God is, I've got to steal the joy away from you. And I've got to get you so wrapped up in worry and fear and anxiety that, that that's all you have time to think about. So you're going to be worried about if your health is failing. You're going to be worried about if, if the, your income is going to keep up. You're going to be worried about relationships. You're going to be worried about all these things. And, and in fact, I'm going to convince you to start worrying about things that aren't even real, right? And I'm going, to, I'm going to convince you to start borrowing trouble. Well, what if this would happen? What if this goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? And, and the devil seeks to steal our joy, the joy that God intends in our walk with, with him. He seeks to steal that by by causing us to live a life based off of fear, a life of anxiety, a life of worry. Toxins. Toxins are another thing. Now, we're not talking necessarily about literal toxins, right? I'm not talking about drinking bleach or anything like that. We're, we're, we're talking here about mental toxins, things that, that steal the joy out of our lives, but there are all sorts of toxins. Negativity is a, a huge toxin that steals joy, right? When you're in a negative mindset, when, when things are going wrong and you're all caught up in whatever's going wrong and you're trying to figure a way out and you're thinking of all the things that could go wrong with that and, and your mind is going down this negative path, how many of you feel joyful in that moment? No, you're stressed out, right? You are stressed, you are worried, there's a feeling in the pit of your stomach. There is no joy in that moment, and, and some of you may be thinking, but, but there are real trials, right? We can't just live without dealing with, with trials. You're right. There are real trials. There are real difficulties that we have to face. However, think of it this way. How many good things are outside the doors of this church this afternoon? When you're, when you're done with church and you leave this place, how many amazing, good, positive things are out there that you could focus and dwell on? can't count them all, right? Innumerable. There's lake after lake after lake. There's mountains. There's trails. There's rivers. There's, there's all sorts of amazing things right outside the door. There are people, thousands upon thousands of people around this area that would be amazing people to get to know, to learn from. There's works of art. There's all sorts of awesome, positive things that surround us, right? How many negative things are outside the door when you walk out of church this afternoon? <laughs> Innumerable, right? They're all over. Are both of those real? 
Negative and positive things outside the doors of this church when you leave, they are both extremely real. How much time do you have when you leave this place before you go to sleep for the night? Eight hours? Ten hours? Maybe 12 if you're a night owl, right? Midnight? You head out. Between now and midnight, you've got, let's say, 12 hours. Between now and midnight, you've got 12 hours. There are real things you can focus on that are negative, and there are real things you can focus on that are positive. What are you going to spend your time focusing on? What am I going to spend my time focusing on? I'll tell you, just, just a confession here. If there are 300 awesome things that happen to me in one day and one thing goes wrong, guess what I'm thinking about? <laughs> guess what I'm spending my time focusing on? The one thing that went wrong, right? Is the one thing that went wrong real? Is it legitimate? Is it something that, that is actually happening that I could say, yeah, I need to focus on that? Yeah. <laughs> but there are 300 other things that are equally as real, legitimate, and that, are, that are, are beneficial to focus my mind on. We have a choice here. This is where the mind comes in. We have all these circumstances playing out around us. And, and our minds get to choose what we're going to focus on. Are we going to spend the majority of our time focused on the negatives, which is our natural bent, that's where we like to go and deal with, or are we going to spend our time focused on the amazing, positive, joyful things that God has placed around us? God says, my kingdom is a kingdom of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Where does God want our attention focused? And even when we do need to focus on the negative, even when there is a real negative situation we have to deal with, guess where God wants our attention? How is God going to work in an amazing way to get us through this? Not, oh my goodness, the sky is falling and this is going to spiral out of control and everything that couldn't possibly go wrong in this situation. No, how is God going to move us from this, this difficult spot and, and how is he going to work in our lives to take us to a spot where we are celebrating victory over the enemy who has placed the negative circumstance in our lives? See, it's, this is where the mind has a role to play in all this. And then the, the last one is comparison. <laughs> comparison, this is where we start comparing ourselves to others. And it can be in, what, in, in the things we own, the things they own. It can be in the talents we have, the talents they have. It can be just in personality. All these things we start to compare ourselves with others, and it steals our joy away. Because the reality is, there's always going to be someone you can find that has more or is better at or something to be dissatisfied with. This is actually what the 10th commandment is all about. <laughs> Don't covet right? It's not just about physical things. It's don't compare yourselves. God has designed you and created you to be who you are. He looks down upon you with joy, and if God celebrates with joy over who he designed you to be, well, maybe it's time to celebrate a little yourself over who he designed you to be as well. Notice this one, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's, what's number two? What's, what's number two? Joy. Second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we think about the Christian life, which one of these do we focus on the most? Self-control. Every single time, right? Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Self-control. That's where we spend our time. That's where we spend our focus. If our focus on self-control, now don't get me wrong, self-control is a good thing. But if our focus on self-control is stealing our joy, are we doing it correctly? 
If our focus on self-control, on gentleness, on being faithful to God is stealing away the joy of our Christian experience, there's something wrong in our picture. There's something wrong in the way we're doing it. Are you with me? Number two characteristic of the, the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Now, here's, here's how this, this kind of comes together. The devil, we, we looked at three things that the, the devil uses to steal our joy. But I propose to you the biggest one he uses for church members is the church. The biggest thing the devil uses to steal our joy is to twist our view of God just a little bit and get us thinking incorrectly. And so we come to our Christian experience and we, we dwell and we focus on this thing called self-control. And we see how far we fall short and how many times we lose it and we let our anger get the best of us, right? And, and all these, and when we find ourselves maybe being a little lazy and not doing the things, and so our focus is all on, well, what are all those things, positive or negative? <laughs> all those things are negative, right? And, and we're dwelling on the negative. But God says the Christian experience should be characterized, first of all, by love, and second of all, by joy. And then down the line, as you work your way down, love, joy, peace produces kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, unless you have the peace of God in your heart, unless you have his joy welling up, you'll never, ever, ever get to the place where you truly have self-control. We cannot control ourselves apart from the love, the joy, and the peace of God. See, when his love washes over us, when his joy wells up within us, it overflows, and that takes priority, that takes precedence. Well, let me ask you this. If you are in a positive, happy frame of mind, is it easier or more difficult to deal with a bad situation than if you're in a, a negative, downhearted frame of mind? It's easier, right? If you're happy, if you're on top of the world and something bad happens, it's not that hard to deal with generally speaking, right? in general terms. There are some terrible things that can pull you down off the mountain. But, but when you're in a positive state of mind, when you feel good, when you've just come off of three or four victories and things are going well and you're happy and, and you're surrounded by those you love and something goes wrong, well, first of all, you may not even, eh, who cares, right? Not a big deal. Just let it go. But if you are down, if you are in the, in the depths and you're, you're fighting depression and despair and all of these things are weighing on you and something little goes wrong, what happens? <laughs> We blow up, right? We blow up at the least little thing. We find ourselves flying off the handle. We're not able to deal with it. In order to get to self-control, we've got to back up and we've got to start with love and joy. This, this, this brings us to another one. Jesus says these words, John 15, 10 and 11. Catch this. If you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my, what? Love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now notice what he says next in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my, what? Joy may be in you and that your joy may be, what? Full. Now, I would guess for most of the history of the Christian church, obedience and commandment keeping did not just automatically cause to spring from church members joy. Right? How many of you, if you hear a good old-fashioned sermon on obedience, first response you have is joy? <laughs> if you hear a good old-fashioned sermon telling you how you're doing it wrong and how everybody's going to hell in a handbasket and all the different things that are going wrong, first response is not generally joy. And yet Jesus says the law 
should be associated, should produce within us joy, right? There's something wrong with our thinking here because the, the outside thing, in this case the law, our mind interprets it in a way that produces a negative response, a negative emotion. Now you're seeing how it's all coming full circle. The negative response in our mind is interpreted, the, the, the law is interpreted in a negative way. Obedience is interpreted in a negative way in our mind, and we have a negative emotional response to that. There is something wrong with our thinking in all of this, because Jesus says the law truly was intended to bring what? Joy. The, the purpose of the law was to bring joy. I was thinking about this. How, how do we illustrate this? Uh, my wife and I were, were grocery shopping when we were back in college. We weren't married at the time, I don't think. Um, anyway, we were out grocery shopping, and, and she had set her purse in, her, in the cart, and we had gone over to get some produce. And we turned around, and her purse was gone. And we looked all over. For, we thought, did it fall down? Did she? And it was, it was not there. It was gone. Someone had stolen it. Was there any joy in our hearts in that moment? No. <laughs> there was no joy in our hearts. In fact, all of a sudden, there's a host of worries that come, Right? hadn't learned this truth that you walk down how God is going to bring good out of bad yet. And so I'm, I'm going, okay, now we're going to have to cancel the credit cards. We're going to have to, you know, do all that. And we're going to have to, you know, look to see if they, they ran up bills and all these things. And what did she have in her wallet? You know, was, was there a social security card? Was there something that shouldn't have? And, and so we're trying to think through all these negative things. We go talk to them and the stress is like up here, right? God says, don't steal because he wants to preserve our joy. Now, on, on the flip side of that, there is a momentary thrill, a momentary rush for the thief, right? In that moment, you got away with it. Whoever that thief was, he got the person, he got away. There is a momentary thrill, a momentary rush. But then what sets in? Guilt and fear. Because while you got away with it in that moment, you never know when the cops are going to come knocking on your door because there was a security camera you missed in the grocery store that caught you as you were walking out with someone else's purse, right? There is a moment of, of joy. There is a moment of thrill and then a lifetime of dread and worry until you either get caught or you make it right, right? So there are two ways that the law protects us. It, it, it brings joy in preventing bad things from happening to us and it brings joy by keeping us from living in fear of being found out and caught, right? So, so God says, here's, here's the purpose of the law. Now, that's the very basics of the law. At a bigger level, the law is a revelation of whose character? God's character. Law is a revelation of his character. The first four commandments are really about bringing us into the presence of God, bringing us face to face with God, which we read earlier, in the presence of God, there is what? Fullness of joy. As we come to this, we find a God who will never steal from us, a God who will never impose on our ability to make our, our free choices. A God who will never go off and, and run off and, and desert us for someone else. A God who will always be there for us. We find there within the law a revelation of a God who loves us and how he loves us and how he will always be there to provide for us. A God who provides family and friends. A God who provides moments in time for relaxation and enjoyment. And all of a sudden, the law becomes a revelation of the joy of God's character. But we, in turn, go down the path of, of changing it into something that we have to do to earn God's favor, that we have to do to earn God's trust. Even the term we use, the ten what? 
Ten Commandments. Did you know in the Hebrew, Exodus 20 never says Ten Commandments? <laughs> there's nothing in Exodus. In fact, there's only one place, and we don't have time to go into today. We'll have a series on the Ten Commandments sometime, and we'll go there. There's only one place in the Bible that actually mentions the commandments. And if you go there and read about it, it will blow your mind. Anyway, Ten Commandments in Exodus doesn't say Ten Commandments. In fact, if you look in the original Hebrew, it actually is the Ten Promises. God isn't coming and dictating to us, you have to do this in order to measure up. God is coming to us and saying, I promise you this is what you will do. I promise you, you will have amazing family relations. I promise you that you will have a day of rest and relaxation to enjoy with each other and with myself. I promise you that you will enter into my presence. You won't have any other gods before me. I make you the promise that your life will be filled with joy as you enter into this relationship with me and you won't be slaves to these other idols that are out there. God is promising time after time a, a promise that he will fulfill. So much so that Israel, when they responded, what did Israel say? Everything you have said we will do what they should have said if they really interpreted and understood what God was saying correctly. Everything you have said, you will do. Yes. Everything you have said, you will fulfill in our lives. Every promise you have made, you will come and you will fulfill for us. Now, I don't know about you, but all of a sudden, there's a sense of joy that starts welling up, right? There's a sense of excitement. It changes the, the relationship we have so much so that it all of a sudden begins to make sense how David can come along and say, man, I rejoice in your law. It, it keeps me up at night. I'm so excited just rejoicing in these promises that you have made of these things that you will do for me. And the law becomes a place of joy and a place of promise of relationship between God and us instead of one of, of measuring out how far you fall short. We have twisted our understanding of what God is all about. And God comes back and he says, here's what I want to do for you. Psalm 51 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Oh, I got to wrap up. I got carried away. <laughs> got excited there. Sorry. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. All right, we're just going to fast forward here. This year I was really bummed. The Seahawks were going to be awful. My daughter and I, they traded Russell Wilson. We were like, we're done. We're not watching football this year. That's it. This is no longer an enjoyable experience. This is no longer fun and exciting.
salvation. Are you getting the connection there? When the weight of expectations is lifted off, when the weight of earning your own way into God's favor is lifted off, when everything is house money and you are already guaranteed the promise of salvation and God has done everything for you, you get to celebrate and enjoy the victory and the good times. Your life gets to be filled with joy because the expectations are lifted off. You are now in a relationship with God Almighty who has saved you and the joy is amazing. Because you're not stressed out, you're not worried, you're not living a life of fear that if I blow it, I'm out. You are living a life of celebration of joy in the very presence of God because, man, he's laid it out all for you. He's guaranteed it in advance. And now you just get to celebrate and enjoy. That's what God calls us to. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I want to invite you to begin living like this. <laughs> live like this. No expectations. Just live in the presence of God's joy. Realize that his kingdom is, his, the Christian experience is about living in a kingdom of joy and celebration. That the, the devil has tried to steal our joy. And now God invites us to live in this, this experience of joy, to understand who he is and the relationship he wants us to, he wants to have with us. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. As we sing this closing song together, I want to invite you to, to join together. I want you to let that joy well up in your heart and just give thanks to God. Give thanks to God because he has provided everything. Give thanks to God for the salvation he has guaranteed. Give thanks to God because our lives are to be filled with his joy.
And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and with all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope and with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit.